0: Welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick from August Capital.
1: And I'm Howard Hardenbaum also from August Capital.
0: I was thinking yet again of a theme song for VentureCast, but I didn't I didn't really arrive at one. But if
1: we st- <laughs> if we start using one, don't we have to pay royalties to them for using it?
0: Well it depends on what it depends on whether we write it. Then we just own the rights. Then we can join oh, you, can you join. doing the song. Yeah, I just thought I'd make one. Like, you know, VentureCast.
1: You could do it on the on the base.
0: I could do it on my new I just got a new new keyboard on MassDrop. i just got a new keyboard uh, there 's like this whole electronics section and all these fanatics talking about it and uh, so I replaced my very boring controller keyboard that sits next to my uh, desk with with something way cooler. Uh, now I have to figure out how to use it, <laughs> which is always the problem i 'll tell you it has changed unbelievably since I was the you know the first synthesizers I bought they were all self-contained it was like a keyboard it sat in one case you plugged it into an amplifier and whatever sounds it had it had and now of course that's completely not what it is you plug it into your computer your computer has an infinite amount of power and sounds and then you can manipulate the crap out of them the only problem is there's always some new software package associated with it that you have to figure out oh how do I define these keys how do I define these pads and whatever so so if you come in here and you're like, hey David, I have a question about venture capital and you see me like looking confused and frustrated, it's because I'm trying to figure out how to use my new keyboard. <laughs> I've come into the office
1: early, 7.15 or 7.30 some days, and I'll hear out coming out of your office that you practice in the bass. <laughs> And it's usually when you're pissed about something. That is true. <laughs> Once even you were pissed at me. <laughs>
0: really? Yeah. What, what song was I playing? Our song, 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 song. Pretty much. <laughs> no, it is a good. It's, I'm glad that I have a base in my office now because it is a good like release. It's like, oh, uh, you know, I opportunity to uh, to do something that isn't email.
1: And my guess is that your family won't allow you to play the bass at home, and that's why you have a bass in the office. I have a ukulele in my office, but it's a ukulele that you gave me. <laughs> well, and you've just, never heard me play that. I just
0: want you to be able to relax. No, my, my, my. we have kind of an outdoor play room that has a bunch of basses and stuff. So I do play, but I find that when I'm home, I actually have even less time. Like if you're here in the office and you have a 20-minute break, you could fill it or whatever, but just as well might go play some bass right so it's whereas once I get home there are like a million home things to do and it's unlikely that one of those includes playing bass yeah but anyway so how have you been Howard
1: you know it's always an exciting time Um, just I guess we'll report it the next time just agreed to invest in a new company where we have received our first term sheet did I tell you about how it went down with the company? I, I went to them and I, I wanted to work with them and I'd gotten to know the founder for about two years and he wasn't raising money yet. And he still had like, I don't know, eight or nine months of runway in the bank and his burn rate was modest. And I went up to his office and I told him before I went up, I said, I would like to bring you a term sheet. And he I said,
0: bearing term and he
1: said, I'm not raising money. And I said, but I would bring one anyway. And he's like, okay and i went up to his office and i took a piece of paper out of my thing i like to deliver it in person because i just think it's the right thing to do and you know i like to see their face when you hand them the the term sheet This it's one like was, when
0: you asked your wife to marry you you wanted to be there in person to see her reaction see how it was gonna go i
1: did that on the phone <laughs> <laughs> because if the answer was no i just wanted to yeah, hang up a
0: click i'm sorry oh i can't hear you i'm sorry
1: so I handed the CEO and his two co-founders were there a term sheet, and I said, you know, it's all basically common terms, you know, plain vanilla upside. If the company goes down, the only request we have is that we have one ex-liquidation preference, and that's it.
0: Which is totally what we do. Like, we, we're not a we-get-rich-on-terms on, on terms kind of firm, where we, we help you be successful and everybody gets rich.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't an exploding term sheet, which means many term sheets, they say you have to make a decision by friday at 5 p.m this was just a piece of paper and i gave it to him and he said but what's the price and i I actually hadn't filled that part out yet it said august capital will invest blank million dollars to buy 20 percent of the company at blank Blank, valuation with blank option pool and i gave it to him and i said you know what why don't you just fill this out you know i'll leave you know and day day or two from now after you guys have had time to do some research and reference calls and talk to your friends like just write down what you think is fair and it'll probably be lower than you want and higher than I want but we can agree on it and you just give it to me and if I think it is fair I will not negotiate it I will just sign it <laughs> and two days later he called me up and and he said you know I was going to say you know, $100 million free just as a, <laughs> as a starting point, just to mess with you. But anyway, he came and he, he put a price, which I think is way more than the company is worth today. Um, and he thought it was less than the company is worth today. And I did not negotiate it with him. I just said, let's start off on the right foot. And I so signed the turn. document and we are closing next week.
0: You know, I just, you, you as you know, I'm doing a deal right now where we had a similar thing where the company is great I'm excited about the company was sitting down with the founder he at this point had six term sheets and I said what so what's the deal what's the deal you want to do that would get this done like I I understand you have a bunch of options or whatever if if all things being equal you would like to work with me and August Capital then what's the deal and he said yes all things being equal I would like to work with you and in fact it doesn't even have to be equal but I'd like the deal to be X and I said Okay. And he looked at me and said, like, well, what are you talking about? I said, okay, I'll do that deal. He was like, he said, you know, you you guys are weird. You don't behave like the rest of the venture business. That's, you know, this is supposed to be a negotiation. I said, nope, this is not a negotiation. That's a perfectly reasonable deal, It's as, as Howard, you say. Well, it's more expensive than we had planned and more than we would like. On the other hand, I think that this is going to be a great company. Let's go build a company instead of wasting time with this.
1: Or instead of starting off already having a negotiation. Yeah. Why not just shake hands?
0: And he said, okay. And then we spent an hour walking around chatting about the business. And then I put it home and he was sort of like, well, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know? So anyway, so you're saying that you, what do you mean you got another term sheet? So No, no,
1: no, we got oh, a mean, term sheet. Oh, I term look at it, it as if actually mean, he filled it. Oh, he wrote the term oh, sheet and gave it to us. us, us and yeah. then I accepted it.
0: I thought what you were gonna say is and meanwhile he just got seven unsolicited term sheets or something. Wait. No, no,
1: he wasn't raising money and he said, You know what, this is he named the price and I said yes and it was totally fair, so he had no need to go out and get seven other term sheets. Yeah. Which was which was great. But but back to like you know getting engaged to your wife. I mean, this is sort of like marriage. You're hooking up with somebody for five or ten years. Sort of like marriage. Well, I no, mean, uh, in
0: Ebates, fourteen. Fourteen. And
1: My <laughs> marriage is twenty-two, and yours is twenty.
0: I've been on the uh, I've been on the Splunk board for eleven. I've been on the NOMA's board for ten. I mean.
1: Can you imagine if getting engaged to be married was like a term sheet negotiation?
0: <laughs> well, this is. The Will you marry
1: me? I don't know. How much money are you going to give me? And under what
0: circumstances? Under what
1: circumstances? <laughs> and if things go bad, let's negotiate the downside protections.
0: I, I should probably not mention names, but I know a very famous entrepreneur who has a, 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 a long set of agreements with his wife that were pre-negotiated as part of the engagement process. Literally it was like... Here's how we're going to treat, you know, children and religion and vacation and work and all the, you know, like it was a...
1: I could see the benefit of that, not that it needs to be a document, but that it's a discussion of how people feel about specific topics. I can say the biggest challenge my wife and I had was before we got married, I said I wanted to have five children. And after she had the second child, I said, "Great, we got to get going. We got three more to go." And she said, "What do you mean?" And I said, I, "We talked about this. Wanted five. She said, "No, I thought you were kidding." <laughs> here, so this friend of yours who's negotiated all that stuff, like you put it down in paper when it's she's clear. It's pretty clear. Five kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had four, but that was not clear going in. That was not part of the pre-negotiation. It was like. Well, I guess, should we have another? And then after the four, time passed. And once they were all out of diapers, it was like, well, now that's that. Like, I'm not going back to that.
1: Not <laughs> so, me. I would like more kids. Kids are fun.
0: Kids are good. Well, you in particular, like you're right on the, what, uh, how old's your youngest now? Sophomore will junior? She just
1: finished junior year. Oh,
0: my God. So you're about to be an empty nester. See ya. <laughs> We've been talking about having a sabbatical program here at August Capital. Uh, Eric nixed that, uh, and <laughs> oh, it's, it's out. Yeah. But uh, you're, you'll be the only one who could actually take advantage of it. Yeah.
1: But you know, I would do two weeks, and I would be bored. Yeah, that's, so that's what all, all of us right. would be. That's the problem. Is that I think two the two truth will night. be is after my second kid goes away to college, I'll probably work even more.
0: Because, like, you know, what else will you do? I uh, I was just talking with a very a young. VC, new, a year and a half into one of one of our friends on Sand Hill Row firms. And he yesterday, and we're walking, he's like, you know, I can only say this among other VCs, but this job is hard. <laughs> 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 and he was an entrepreneur before. He's like, I thought entrepreneurship was hard, but oh my god, this is so hard, and my companies aren't doing as well as I'd hoped, and holy crap, you know, and it's like, I know.
1: Yeah, well, when you're at a, an operator, and you're at a company one you're only dealing with one set of problems and there's things you can do to try and fix those problems but when you're a vc with 10 portfolio companies at any moment of time half or more are having problems so it's compounded and there's nothing you can do yeah. to fix them so it's very challenging
0: yeah
1: yeah let's talk mattresses
0: yeah, oh my god your favorite do you product. mind no not at all <laughs> i know you're obsessed with
1: so me. i have i have i'm have like i have this uh habit of I get obsessed with one topic for a few months and I learn everything I can about that topic and I research it and I draw my own crazy conclusions on it. There's a lot of different areas. Like I know a lot about car brakes and I know a lot about sprinkler systems and I know a lot about keys and locks. I just think now oh, it's mattresses. All the useful
0: stuff. All useful, I mean, so. actually, unlike my esoteric things like, oh, no, you know, minimalism in music. You'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'll come minimalism
1: in music. You turn it off.
0: I'll fix your sprinkler, you know.
1: So let me tell you my my here's my high level theory of mattresses. So mattresses as a business so are totally screwed. I needed a new mattress for my house, and I walked into a mattress store. Well, so first it started where somebody said, Hey, have you heard about that company, Casper? And I said, No, what's Casper? And they say, It's a mattress you buy in a box, it comes in the mail, you cut it open and it it's a foam mattress and it inflates. And uh I said, oh, I did that when I lived in Europe, I bought these water latex mattresses for my kids and they came in this little tiny roll and you cut the plastic and they inflate like 80 times their size and they're really awesome mattresses. So apparently what happened, I think the tempur patent or something went out and so competition has popped up and tempur didn't grab enough market share while they had the chance and so faster operators like Casper and another one tufted a needle and there's a whole slew of them now started shipping mattresses by mail in boxes so they don't have to fund staff in stores they don't have to have stores with inventory and huge floor where people come in and flop around on mattresses and they sell one per day and anyway so I bought I was looking into Casper and then I and I saw on one blog somebody saying well if you like firmer ones get a tuft and needle because it's more firm and I wanted more firm and so I went and tuft and needle was cheaper and it was on Amazon, it had 900 or 890 reviews that were five star. And I'm like, <laughs> a mattress that people like. I figured I gotta get one of those. So I bought one, a few days later it came to my house. I cut the bag open. So how big
0: is the box? Like when it shows up, is it like? It's like
1: uh, two feet by two feet by whatever, you know, four feet high or three feet high and weighs about 75 pounds for a queen. It's heavy. It's
0: heavy but pretty but pretty. Compact. Totally manageable and the, for the UPS, UPS to guide deliver. The guy comes and drops it and you can move it wherever you totally, want to
1: get it. Totally bring it in my room I open the box I cut the you you cut the plastic open and the thing just expands like it's like those kids toys you put in water and they're like a pill and they just and you're just like holy crap and it was hands down the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on it was only 600 bucks it's just awesome it's firm but it's soft and it's I want like anyway
0: we are not investors in
1: we're not investors I just think it's like the most (laughs) awesome thing in the world so Then we we have another room in the house and my wife wanted to get another, a different mattress for that room because she, she, whatever, wanted a different thing. So I looked on Yelp and I found three mattress stores that were rated highly and the first one I walk into is in Palo Alto and there's a guy there and all the the Yelp reviews say, Armando, he's the best guy, he's awesome. And I talked to Armando for three minutes and he starts off and he tells me his dad founded the shop 40 whatever years ago and he's been working there for 31 years and he was very nice and helpful. And before he finished talking, and he said, and those stupid mattresses that come in boxes in the mail. And I said to him, oh, (laughs) I'm thinking to myself right here, this is the clue that the mattress industry is screwed. (laughs) When the first time you walk into the store and the guy who's been running a shop for 40 years tells you in his first sentence, he's worried about mattresses that come in the mail that, you know, that's like AT&T saying Skype, it'll never work. Yeah. And so I said to him, you know, you might want to try one and think about how you can change your business as a result. So anyway, we flopped around in mattresses there. We went to another shop, and we flopped around in mattresses there. We went to another shop and flopped around in mattresses there. And by then, I couldn't tell them apart. They're all the same. So I just picked one and bought it. (laughs) And it got delivered to my house, and it's too hard. In a giant truck. In a giant truck. It took a week and a half to get there. I can't move it on my own. It's so heavy. And it was too hard. I'm uncomfortable on it. I called... um, Um, the mattress company heirloom and I asked I need to talk to your person who's an expert on all the mattresses you sell oh you want to talk to Linda and I get Linda on the phone she's worked there 10 years she knows everything she said what happened I said well I bought this mattress and I thought it looked more you know it was a little bit like this but frankly it felt like I slept on the top of Half Dome last night she goes well which one did you buy and I read the receipt for her and she goes oh yeah you bought the one that we call The Rock
0: (laughs) (laughs) you said wow I was
1: like well I called How can I, I
0: swap ca- it out. I and laptop. I did. I called the
1: retailer. I paid them a fifteen percent restocking fee plus an eighty dollar pickup and I'm done with that mattress. Oh god. And I'm buying I just ordered another Tufted needle.
0: Seriously? You just, Seriously said, did. you just said to your wife, I understand that this is a problem. The it will finish smelling like whatever. Yep. But I bought another one. And what did what did you go have to say? Like she just said, Oh, fine or or you like, well, no, I,
1: you know, I buttered her up for a few days by basically complaining every 20 minutes. <laughs> no, she just doesn't really, want to hear me complain anymore. Yeah, so that's
0: not really buttering her up as much as like... I bought her a handbag. History: her into, into <laughs> submission.
1: Anyway, the mattress industry, and we read that somebody funded Casper big-time money, and as crazy as the whole thing sounds, based on the one data point of the 40-year-old mattress shop in Palo Alto... The guy telling me that he hates these mattresses that come in the mail in boxes. I think the mattress industry is screwed.
0: See, this is the thing. Like you know, all these industries where people think, oh, tech tech doesn't matter, or you know, innovation doesn't matter. What's the disruption doesn't matter. We 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 funded a sock company. We're, we're now investors in Stance socks. Are you wearing Stance? Of I think course, you are. we're both wearing they, Stance. They they
1: manufacture socks with two hundred needles concurrently sewing the socks on a, on
0: a mold, which is cool. It turns out actually we had this conversation because they come into pitch. The CEO is an amazing guy. He comes into pitch, but we're like ah, what's the technology involved? And then you find out that he's an expert in the technology of socks. And he's actually manufacturing better socks. They're better, they're more comfortable, they're whatever. They also happen to be really cool looking. And they're sort of disrupting a, what otherwise was a boring, old, not very innovative business. And I, and I think, I hope, is going to be a big, interesting business. So and doing- every
1: entrepreneur that pitches August Capital goes home with a nice pair of socks.
0: Here's some socks. Come in fact, in. I had an
1: entrepreneur come in yesterday who wanted to pitch again. At the end of the pitch, he said to me, can I get some more socks? <laughs>
0: Ha, he'd come back he for, came come back, back
1: for more socks, and so I said to him, "Well, yeah, you can get a few pair." And he said, "Can I have five pair?" And I said, what? "No, five pairs is if we fund you. <laughs> I'll let you have two pair today."
0: Well, I didn't know this was like a part of the ongoing negotiation, but
1: <sighs> we can put that in pair. socks.
0: Yeah, we will also give you socks.
1: We'll fill your sock drawer. Yeah, you should. They try are that. good socks. You should try that. I have a lot of socks. Send him a bag of socks. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're, we're we're currently in, in negotiation with an entrepreneur and Howard believes that perhaps sending socks would be would couldn't be hurt an effort couldn't yeah. hurt and I just got a bottle of wine I could send over some wine I mean all these things but in the end if it worked that'd be so uh, it would be a, ne- a contra indicator it'd be a negative indicator because no one should make this decision based on fucking socks you should make the decision no, based the- on who is going to help you, who are you going to want to work with for the next 10 years who is good when when you but have a board meeting go oh david or oh howard not you know
1: but i totally agree with you but point oh oh one percent of it is that the guys people just like to deal with a little bit of flair being or excitement pampered. or being pampered or i was talking to um what's her name the girl who runs shoppers down in l.a wonderful jacqueline i think her name is um floodgate had funded her And she said she was really sick a few weeks ago, and she she was talking to a VC. I don't know if it was Greylock or some other nice firm. And she said, like, she got off the call, and two hours later, some matzo ball soup showed up on her doorstep. And she was just like... called being,
0: like, nice. I mean, yeah, I suppose some people could do it strategically. But I agree with you. Ultimately, I'd rather work with people who are good people. And, like, when you don't feel well, they send you matzo ball soup. Unless you don't like matzo ball soup, which would be criminal, because matzo ball soup is delicious.
1: yeah. Good matzo ball soup. Have you,
0: is there good matzo ball soup? So we end up going to Max's because my daughter loves matzo ball soup pretty mediocre. Is that the one that's at Stanford yeah, that's Shopping Stanford Center? Shopping Center. Do you know yeah. of any other place?
1: No. My mom lives in Mountain View.
0: <laughs> so I should just call her. Because <laughs> my mom lives in Cambridge and that's not helping me a whole lot. Uh, we've talked about nothing so far. Yeah, right? that's good. Pretty much. What do you want to talk about? you want to talk about uh a couple of companies pitching us and uh why don't terms we talk about
1: all of, yeah why don't we talk about all these um structure and deals and all the unicorns and high prices and stuff like that because everything isn't always as it seems
0: yeah, I just gave a talk uh to one to one of our investors right r l p and it was a fund of funds and therefore it, these fund of funds have other investors and they have their own conferences where they tell their investors how they're doing so i went down to sort of represent venture as like hey we're i'm a venture capitalist and i'm investing your money um and the fund of funds did a presentation talking about how venture was doing and they had a whole thing about unicorns oh here are the unicorns and um by the way once again a shout out to aileen lee who invented this term unicorn that has is just completely pervasive now uh pernicious even Uh, but but, uh, you know, they're talking about it, and then I have this debate with, with at the conference where I say, like, you know what? I think there are two types of unicorns. There are there are real unicorns, and then there are pretend unicorns. <laughs> fantasy cor- fantasy unicorns. Fantasy unicorns. One is realized gain. A company has gone public at more than a billion dollars, has sold for a billion dollars or more. You know, uh, those are real live Tangible billion-dollar businesses, and then there are these companies that get funded at a billion dollars, and you say, "Oh, well, it's a unicorn." Bullshit. Now, well,
1: some of them will they be. They may
0: be unicorns. I the Ubers of the world. I will acknowledge be. it is extraordinarily yep. unlikely that Uber is not ultimately worth many billions of dollars, but there's some of these companies. Look at Fab was a unicorn, supposedly, right? Funded at a valuation and went out of business. Like there living are, social uh, living social is was one of the unicorns listed on this thing i don 't know what it's worth now, right so there are so to be clear, realized gains are at, are the real McCoy, and before that, there are financings, and the thing that is perfectly clear to us is that these financings aren't just like, oh simple financing here I'll, the, what we talked about earlier, this one x preference, very simple. No terms that that get in the way. Downside of Downside ratchets, and yeah, warrant
1: issuance and time-based triggers and all sorts of stuff. So like maybe
0: that. we should describe those for you a little yeah. bit. So, so those of you who don't know, some of the things that you can do in a financing is set set your the terms of the stock you're buying so that it changes based on the value of the company, right? So or these, the time of the company or the timing. So the first one yeah. is the value. There's a thing called a ratchet, and the ratchet says, "Hey." i'm going to give you a two billion dollar valuation but if the company is worth less than that it will be as if our financing got done at that valuation plus extra usually or yeah worse than that so let's say i'm going to make your company worth two billion but if you don't get public at two billion dollars then we're going to treat it like it was a billion dollar business and we have seen multiples of these in fact uh when uh when chegg went public their last investors got a bunch more shares because they had one of these terms in and it went public at meaningfully less than the price of their last round. The other one is a timing thing which says, hey, if you don't get public at, a pri- at this price we're paying now by such and such a date, we're gonna get more shares every month that you have failed to achieve this goal. And that was Box. Box's last financing said, Get public by X date, or you're going to start issuing us a lot of your company. They literally had to get public by that date. Uh, they did manage to get public, but again, not at the price that was anticipated, etc. So, so people may be paying a billion, two billion, seven billion, fifteen billion. What's the latest? I, I, Spotify just did around eight billion, I think. Eight billion. Pinterest has done around, or not? Uh, li, uh, WhatsApp has done an. I mean. Not WhatsApp. Um, uh, Snapchat. Snapchat. Just, I mean, it's just these valuations are mind-bogglingly large. And, by the way, higher than the average IPO price over the last decade, right? So we're talking about private valuations that are meaningfully higher than the than the public company valuations that are actually creating realized gain. So this is dumb. <laughs> I mean... What's your take on it, Howard? I mean, uh, is it just that people are being short-sighted? I
1: think think they're not being short-sighted. They're just being overly optimistic. And when you imagine everything is going to go right and you don't really plan for what happens if things go wrong, um, if things go right, then it was a good choice. But if things go wrong, it's significantly more painful than a more cautious approach, for example. People perceive having a billion dollar valuation and being a unicorn is a really great thing from a recruiting perspective, from a press perspective. And if the company continues to do great and becomes worth more in the future, then it doesn't really matter. But in many cases, companies have problems or the markets change and the IPO window closes down or whatever. That
0: going to be a big one. In fact, this has been the slowest IPO year In years, we think it's a great robust market, but it turns out fewer venture-backed companies have gone public this year than, than in many years, recent years.
1: Yep. And so it's sort of like you can't, you know, people, soldiers run off into battle with a gun facing towards the enemy thinking I might get shot but I'm going to do my job and then when they get shot and their leg gets blown off and later they're like oh this is a lot worse than I thought it would be it's kind of similar with all the terms you can have on a no I'm not saying don't don't get me wrong like a soldier who loses his leg on behalf of our country infinite respect I'm just talking about the psychology you don't know how bad something is until the thing actually happens to you and therefore
0: you don't take appropriate account of that negative outcome
1: correct And so you have a company that, you know, could have raised at a 500 million valuation in straight preferred no termed equity, or they raised at a billion valuation with all sorts of ratchets. If the company struggles a little bit or a lot, either way, the lower valuation was much better, typically for the founders and the employees and all of the investors. But if everything goes great, then the high valuation was better, but more often than not, companies struggle before they exit. And so it's, I I think entrepreneurs are just being a little bit overly optimistic sometimes and the pain and suffering isn't something as bad as they perceive it will be. And then it's really a lot worse than they thought it would be.
0: I have a a super interesting company that's out raising money right now. And we had this conversation and everyone in the room is 100% on board with clean terms at whatever the price of that term, right? Whatever that is. Like if it turns out that that's a $700 million deal or a $900 million deal. And if it's a $700 million clean deal and a $1.1 billion not clean deal, it is the $700 million deal. And by the way, if you do the math, take a spreadsheet and do the math, because it's not like you're raising $400 million in these instances. So let's say you're raising $50 million. The difference between a $700 million valuation and a billion dollar valuation raising $50 million is not that large. The amount of additional dilution is not that large versus the real challenge of not of the downside when you don't hit it, right?
1: Yeah, so the many of the unicorns and the terms that they have, those investors have only upside. They have no downside unless the company is a yeah, zero. That's right. And they even have things like they're putting money in at a billion, but you're guaranteeing them a minimum ten or fifteen percent return every year, no matter what. And if you end up raising money at a five hundred million valuation, then they get a whole bunch more. Like it's it is no lose for those guys in those financings. And if things go down, basically the company and the founders are the ones who get bled the most. Yeah, but. They would continue to do it because people are optimists.
0: So it's funny. Uh, this entrepreneur who's out raising money said that he would rather raise money at a nine hundred and ninety-nine million dollar valuation than a billion because he said, "I don't want to be a fucking unicorn." <laughs> 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 I, like, I, I love that. Like, forget it.
1: But but the reality I'll, is, I'll his business million. is only worth eighty million.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You wish. No, his business is worth a lot. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, that. And frankly, if it does end up being worth more than a billion dollars, I think we should create a t-shirt with him riding a unicorn. <laughs> because that would be so great. What will he be sitting on? <laughs> sitting, bumping. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Well, oh, anyway, yeah. all right. So terms, terms matter. Yeah. Terminology matters. You know. So one of the things that makes me crazy, and actually makes you crazier than it makes me, is that we get pitched by businesses all the time, and they use these turn like, oh, the, these terms of art, right? Where they're supposed to mean a particular thing, and yet they always have a different meaning, right? So in, in particular, I'm thinking of this idea uh, that that many of the companies we're pitched on these days are talking about. What is the cost of acquisition? We call it CAC, right? What is the cost of t- to acquire a customer? And they say, oh yeah, yeah, our CAC is forty dollars or whatever. And when you and so and, and and the LTV, the lifetime value of our customer is a hundred or whatever, and therefore it's a good deal. Like, look how well we're doing; it's forty to one hundred or forty to four hundred, whatever it is. We
1: see businesses go out, go under all the time with metrics like with that.
0: Those kinds of metrics and say, okay, so how is that possible? Because it turns out that not all CAC is created equal. Not all LTV is created equal. So why why don't you, literally when we see one of these pitches now, uh, particularly around their CAC and they say our blended CAC, which is blah, we say, Howard, because Howard hates the idea of a blended CAC. So why don't you give, just for those entrepreneurs who are thinking you might pitch us, here is Howard's rant. It is 100% appropriate, 100% accurate. That is bullshit. So please, share what you think is appropriate to be in cac and what is not or at least what should be separated out so that we understand what your business's economics actually are
1: yeah and the reason it matters is if you don't really understand cac and you raise a bunch of money and then you spend that money to acquire customers if you don't understand cac you will quite likely waste all of that money and burn (laughs) through it and you will have sold off a bunch of equity to get it. You will have great top line numbers but you will have a shitty business. And what I mean by that is CAC isn't the amount of money that you spend to acquire customers and then divide that by the number of new customers that you have coming in the door. That that is not what CAC is. CAC is money that you spend that you can attribute to a specific customer or a specific class of customers and leave out all of those customers that you can't attribute to anything. So some businesses have a lot of word of mouth or a lot of virality or a lot of organic results that bring in customers, and then those businesses spend some money in order to acquire more customers. So if you know half of the customers are coming in for free and half of the customers are a result of paying money, if you spend $100,000 and you get $50,000, you get, sorry, you spend $100,000, you get 50,000 paid customers coming in the door, then the math on that is $2 customer acquisition cost for those paid customers. But what people typically do is they take the total number of customers, which is the free ones and the paid ones, and they say, we got 100,000 customers, 50 paid, 50 free, and we only spent 100,000 bucks, so the CAC was a buck. And so therefore, if you, Mr. Venture Capitalist, give me $10 million, I can spend 8 million of it on customer acquisition, and I will get 8 million customers. That's actually not true. You only get four million customers.
0: Well, and now, so just to be clear, if it turned out that your free customers scaled with your paid customers, then that would be true. It just that those things don't go hand in hand. Sometimes they do,
1: but they're very hard to measure. (laughs) It's
0: very hard to measure. Usually you have a certain amount of organic traffic and then you use money to goose the other number, which you can control. And so, therefore, you can accelerate the paid one, but you really will have a hard time accelerating the free one. Yeah. And so that ratio will dramatically change the second you go to spend a bunch more money. Yeah. And this is the part that makes us crazy because it's like, look, we know we're, and we know that when you go from buying 10,000 customers to buying 100,000 customers that the cost goes up.
1: Now, most oh, entrepreneurs yes. assume that the cost goes down because they oh. get more efficient at acquiring customers. But actually what happens is the first bucket of customers are the easy ones to get, and the next bucket are more difficult, and the next bucket are even more. So the cost of acquiring an incremental customer goes up over time, not down over time. And the other issue that you you have to consider is everybody's always worried about LTV or LTV to CAC ratio. And they say, I spend $10 to acquire a customer and I'm gonna make $80 from them. So that's an eight times LTV to CAC ratio, but they leave time out of the equation. So if it's gonna take 60 years to make that 80 dollars,
0: LT- So again, LTV is lifetime value. So
1: yeah, I think actually the most important thing is not CAC or LTV, it's payback, payback period. period. And if you have a long payback period, that means you spend money to acquire a customer and now that money is gone. And how long is it going to take before you recoup that money back in the bank? And if that is in a, within a few months, that's pretty good because then that money is gone, but you get it back quickly. But if that's a year or 14 months later and you're growing, your business will consume a lot, a lot of money in order to grow, which maybe okay as long as you really understand your customers, but you will consume a lot of money, which means you have to raise a lot of equity, raise a lot of cash, you have to sell off a lot of equity, and you could end up with a business with a great LTV to CAC ratio that's a shitty investment and you don't make much money at as an entrepreneur because you had to sell off the business.
0: Yeah, it, it, it either. It takes so much money to get to scale that you can't raise it and therefore it flattens because it's taking three years to make back the money and so you'll basically be flat for three years before you can start re reinvesting. um uh, or it goes out of business like forget it you know it just you you have no capacity to to, to grow your business so um
1: so an ideal transactional business pitch is we acquire x number of customers or whatever the number is, is organic through word of mouth or search result or, or viral, whatever. And the remaining is paid. And here are the channels we are paying for and how they are performing. And when we acquire a customer at this paid amount, we get paid back on that investment within a certain time frame, which is usually six months or less or three months or less or something in that time frame. And then after we've been paid back, we continue to get paid from that customer over time because it's a subscription business or a repeat purchase business or whatever it is. And ideally the engagement is pretty high so you don't have to reacquire the same customers over and over and over again.
0: And great entrepreneurs can tell you here's paid customers, here's free customers, here's how they behave the same or differently, and here's how they're, therefore, how their value is different, and then here's how we're gonna scale the marketing channels and what we think will, where we have the opportunity to go from 10,000 customers to 100,000 customers a month or whatever.
1: So to, to give a simple example, Zulily acquired customers via affiliate marketing through blogs, and what their pitch was, it costs $4 to get a consumer to register with Zulily and give an email address. And in the first month, one out of four of those consumers would make a first purchase. So the customer acquisition cost of that converted customer was $16. The first purchase dollar amount was roughly $65 at a 27% margin. So if you do, I'm guessing on the numbers, but relatively close, if you do the math, the company has a $16 CAC and they get that back in, con- in in gross margin in the first month. And so the payback period is very quickly. And then the customer purchases again after 60 days and then purchases again after and 90 days. And every
0: purchase after that is gravy. Is gravy. <laughs> right. So they
1: paid back their acquisition cost very quickly. And the LTV, the lifetime value, is getting longer and longer over time. And when they, they would make estimates that their lifetime value would be two years or three years at six purchases per year, that number actually got better and better, meaning people kept around longer and were purchasing more. But they didn't give ridiculous like, well, we think people will be buying baby clothes from us for 12 years.
0: <laughs> when we now have 12-year-olds. When we now have 12-year-olds, yeah. So So this is our other uh you know pet peeve which is ltv is the lifetime value of the customer and if you are a two-year-old company and you're projecting three-year lifetime values you know it's made up right you can't have had a single lifetime customer at three years if you've only been around for two years and so it is important to recognize that a lot of this is projected lifetime value right Here And and look, it's statistical. So you can say, here's what happens with our customers. You know, 90% uh, disappear after the first nine months. The remaining seem to flatten from months nine to, you know, 12 or months nine to 16 or wherever you are. And therefore, you know, the predicted lifetime value we will estimate is a three year value, but could be bigger. But Estimating 10-year lifetime values, 9-year lifetime values, whatever, is its just such absurd fiction. It doesn't do anyone any good to calculate the value of their business.
1: How many, what percentage of consumer transactional businesses on the web are still alive after 10 years?
0: Yeah, exactly. I bet you it's, I bet you it's astonishingly small. Yeah. Right? I mean, we could we, do, we could practically do the math. I mean, look at... Look at all the businesses that we've seen. Yeah and Fab you know, was
1: protecting ten, projecting ten-year LTV.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's left and what's left? Yeah, you know, like we have Google's left, Amazon. and eBay's left and Amazon's left, and Yahoo's left, although limping a little bit. and you know, I mean, there just aren't that many multi-decade kinds of businesses, so even if you acquired customers, but Yahoo, like Yahoo's a great example. The Yahoo Mail lifetime value of Yahoo Mail customers is astonishing. I mean, you know, there's customers who have been around easily for more than a decade and have been extraordinarily valuable. But if you'd come in and pitched us on that business and say, okay, well, what's the realistic time frame that we're gonna measure against? And again, to your point, who cares compared to what is the realistic cost of acquisition and then the realistic lifetime value which, against which it is useful for building this business, right? Yeah.
1: But, you know, we don't mind if you don't have the measured data. We prefer it. But as long as when you give a presentation, you talk. Because we see so many presentations. We have a sense for what customer acquisition costs and what channels work. And we have a sense for that. So as long as you say you're a startup company, you say, here's what we think it will be. As long as you're being reasonable, folks like us will still invest no, if you there's an opportunity.
0: for for saying, yeah. here's what we know, here's what we don't know what we don't know here's what we predict is the answer to the thing we don't know and the reason we predict it is because of a set of facts that and the answer
1: isn't 10-year ltv
0: yeah and let's be clear and you could say like oh there's some possibility that the lifetime value of a customer extends over a decade but we're not measuring that because that's meaningless then we say oh good you speak our language what's a rational period of time to measure CAC to LTV ratio against.
1: And so, if the meeting goes really well at the end of the meeting, then you just simply give us a term sheet.
0: <laughs> and if we place. think
1: it's fair, we will just sign it and we'll be off to business it's together.
0: Good, exactly. We have a president. Howard's ready to do business that way. You might just want to send us your term sheet. Yes, it's uh send it with your executive. Howard
1: at augustcap.com or Hornick at (laughs) August.com, just send us your term sheets. And but frankly speaking, you know, back to that point, we do have entrepreneurs who sometimes send us stuff that looks kinda interesting, and they say things like, and we're raising thirty million dollars for twenty percent of the company, and these are companies that haven't even incorporated yet and they have no product. You are better off. To not send a, 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 you can say how much money you're raising, but it's generally not a good idea to say what the price will be on the company. It, because it what, if, it you, crazy. if you're too high, it's crazy. And if you're too low, then you just shot yourself in the foot. It is lose-lose for the entrepreneur to say what your valuation should be. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a, it's a terrible idea.
1: Unless you're sending me a term sheet. This
0: has been a very I, I feel like we've just given lots of bad ideas today. This has been a the These Are Bad Ideas show. Do we have any other bad ideas? I mean
1: Oh, I got a long list.
0: <laughs> what other bad ideas are there? Oh
1: Doing Venture Cast after I drink a cup of coffee.
0: That's right. No more Venture Cast after after the coffee. No more venture cast after we've been pitched on businesses where we where we're annoyed by their L T V to CAC m- miss ratio Yeah. I think we should call it there. I feel I like it's feel been like, a long one. I feel like yeah. you know we've we've uh, we've been very technical in this VentureCast. Uh, we promised to talk more about our, our children, our wives, and our mothers in the future. You know, let's do a pitch for MileIQ. We are not investors in that company, <laughs> but I've just moved
1: MileIQ to my home screen on my iPhone, and it is a simple application that costs sixty dollars for a piece of software,
0: which is very high for a, for an app.
1: And it allows me to swipe to the left after I've done a personal drive and swipe yeah, well, to the you right. Gotta back
0: up. you You got to back up and explain. So the tax laws in America say if you're driving your car to and from work, you may not write that off. That's a normal cost of work. But if you are driving your car anywhere else and you are not being reimbursed by your business for that drive, then you can write it off as a business expense and it's charged at what cents a mile?
1: A little over 50 cents a so mile. So a little
0: bit more than 50 cents a mile. You can deduct from your taxes for that drive. So now there's an app that allows that is, you to. It's
1: basically Tinder for driving. <laughs> and you swipe one way or the other and it automatically tracks it for you. And at the end of the year, you push a button, you get a report, you hand it to your accountant. And for me, I will save several thousand dollars on my taxes by simply spending 60 bucks on an app and swiping left and swiping right.
0: I, just, I literally just did this. I'm onto it because of Howard. Howard, is, Howard will find these things. I'm quite excited. I've, so just yesterday, I had, a, I had multiple meetings up in the city. So I drove up to the city. I had my meetings. I drove back from the city. And this morning, while I was waiting at the post office, I, set, I declared those both business, business trips. And it's tens of dollars in tax write-off for that. For, for two sim- seconds worth of yeah. time. It's a really... Uh, it's just a very clever of use of location awareness and technology to create a simple and by the by the way, one of the challenges of writing off this kind of beha- of uh, activity is you have to keep a very clear log and it's really hard to demonstrate that you truly did it. This app is a hundred percent verifiable, like you know the only thing in question is whether you were on a business trip or not, but you know. Monday through Wednesday, two through Friday, Monday through Wednesday. There's the VC job. Monday through Friday, you know, when we're heading to the city or to a board meeting or whatever, it's very clear this is a business trip and it should be uh, taxable. And up. you
1: can set the app to just ignore weekends.
0: I should do that. I yeah. didn't know that.
1: And then when you get to Monday, there's nothing from the of weekend. i that suggests
0: I'm with... never meeting with anyone on the weekend. So it's wor- this is a time to value question. Like, you know, you'll save a lot of time because you'll no, have relatively you... few weekend meetings.
1: I have relatively few, but when I do, I just turn that function off. All
0: right, there you go. Anyway,
1: we're doing a Myle shout out like to Mile IQ. All buy right. it on the App Store.
0: Yeah, we enjoy. We, we we're believers in Mile IQ. Keep up the keep up the good work, Mile IQ, and others who are working on little apps like that that will make them a lot of money are probably not venture bi- venture scale businesses. Or they the may be, but we're pretty psyched to be using them. A little bit of positivity to end the show,
1: and a little bit of marketing for Mile IQ. There you
0: go. I am David Hornick from August Capital.
1: And Howard Hardenbaum, also from August Capital. And
0: this has been Venture Your Cats.